Welcome to 2050 Investors, the podcast that deciphers economic and market megatrends to meet tomorrow's challenges. I'm Koko Abouba. I head up economics, cross-asset, and quant research at Société Générale. In each episode of 2050 Investors, I'll investigate a key megatrend that relates to the economy, the planet, markets, and you. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. These were the harsh words uttered by Sir Winston Churchill in his May 13, 1940 speech to the UK's House of Commons as he took over from Neville Chamberlain as the British Prime Minister on the eve of World War II. This was 82 years ago. And this is now the unfortunate reality in many cities in eastern Ukraine under Russian attack. This war on the borders of Europe affects us all. And yet 2022 started with so much optimism. Remember our episode, 2021 is dead, long live 2022? Or even the roaring 2020s episode where the world was supposed to indulge in revenge spending thanks to the accumulated excess savings built up during these long and painful months of lockdown in 2020 as we fought the war against COVID-19. Governments and central banks splashed trillions of dollars to save lives and livelihoods. An act of bravado aimed at getting the world's economy back on its two feet and shielded from the deleterious effects of a self-inflicted economic coma. The expected economic recovery, with an inflation thought to be mostly transitory until proven permanent, was hampered by supply chain disruptions and tight labor market conditions that were expected to normalize over time. One must admit that the plan did not go according to plan. Okay, this is clearly a euphemism. To put it more bluntly, the world got punched in the face and then got body slammed by Russia's war against Ukraine. 2022 is barely five months old and is going through a midlife crisis. It is, in many ways, a distorted image of 2020, from COVID-19 pandemic to an inflation outbreak from recession to stagflation fears, and finally, from peace to war. I must once again quote Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. There are decades where nothing happened, and weeks where decades happen. Markets have not been immune. Equities, corporate bonds, currencies except the dollar, are all down on fears of a consumer-led recession as persistent inflation triggers a cost-of-living crisis. Sovereign bonds, formerly known as safe havens, have been hit the hardest, as most central banks have started to inject multiple doses of interest rate hike vaccines and quantitative tightening boosters to fight this inflation outbreak. Only commodities and CO2-intensive sectors are outperforming. The Russia-Ukraine conflict has fast-tracked the energy transition commitments in some countries, but in others, they are being thrown out of the window or put on standby given their urgent need to find short-term solutions to meet the energy crisis. As you have understood, in this episode, we'll look at the macroeconomic impacts of the war in Ukraine. Clearly, this conflict is a tragedy on so many levels, 
and its ramifications are wide-reaching. Today, I'll gear my investigation to the megatrends I've been investigating in this podcast. And as the situation is quite volatile, it is useful to indicate that I'm recording this in early May 2022. So, back to our global economic panorama. After two body slams, i.e. COVID-19 and war, the questions at hand are the following. Should we brace for impact as stagflation clashes with the global economy? And if yes, what are the long-term implications for financial markets? And when it comes to the energy transition, in light of the current situation, is it still realistic to hope for the 1.5 degree Paris Agreement goals? Or should we really be preparing for 2.5 degrees or more? Indeed, global greenhouse gas emissions are far from being on track with a 50% reduction target by 2030. Let's start our investigation. First, let's do a quick recap of how we got here and whether the fears of imminent stagflation, in other words, low growth and high inflation, are warranted. The current crisis is a classic tale of a perfect storm or a super spreader event, with many things going wrong at the same time. A classic case of Murphy's Law, the adage that states that if anything can go wrong, it will. An article in the New York Times entitled Inflation Continued to Worsen in March as Gas and Rent Costs Rose shows that US CPI hit 8.5% year over year, the fastest pace since 1981, with pay rises failing to keep up, despite a very tight labor market. The article argues that a surge in gasoline prices tied to Russia's invasion of Ukraine added another layer to the sharp price increases coming from the collision of strong demand and stubborn pandemic-related supply shortages. However, when you strip out volatile food and fuel prices, core inflation appears to decelerate somewhat, as used car prices fell after record increases. This is an important point. As the economy reopened and mobility rate rose, we spent less time ordering goods on Amazon and started to move and travel more. This led to inflation switching from goods to services, i.e. travel and restaurants, etc. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has indeed added fuel to inflation, and particularly in Europe where 40% of its natural gas is supplied by Russia but small inflation fires were already there. First, persistent supply chain disruptions made worse by China's zero-tolerance policy on COVID-19. Second, labor market shortages, particularly in the UK, where Brexit caused acute labor shortages in many parts of the economy. Third, consumption boom driven by significant cumulative excess savings. And finally, energy transition investments coupled with ESG regulation, which constrain capital expenditures in fossil fuel and other carbon-intensive commodities, thus fueling greenflation. This is a case of good intentions leading to unintended consequences. As discussed in our greenflation episode, inflation is like a virus, and it is now spreading fast. A high number of injections and boosters via interest rate hikes is now needed to curb and cure this super spreader event. 
250 basis points of hikes are priced in the US and 85 basis points in Europe by the end of the year. But tighter monetary policies designed to cure inflation do have side effects and could cause a recession as increasing the cost of money would hurt consumers even more at a time when real incomes are falling. This is therefore the ultimate scenario of higher inflation and lower growth coupled with unemployment. It is also the third condition required for stagflation to occur. Today, expectations for growth are to slow down, but not collapse. Why? Well, because governments will have strong incentives to shield lower-income households from higher costs of living as they form a non-negligible portion of the electorate. So, spending to cushion the demand destruction induced by higher prices could also backfire. Low-income households are also the ones with higher marginal propensity to spend, i.e. they spend a higher proportion of their income, putting it back in the economy, as opposed to their wealthier peers who save more. This in turn could embolden central banks to do even more tightening to curb consumption, eventually triggering a recession. Higher rates will not address the supply shocks caused by a conflict that may persist or even escalate. So, inflicting more pain might not lead to more gain. ECB president Christine Lagarde recently said, I could raise interest rates, but it won't bring energy prices down. The clear certainty is more instability and turbulence over the next two to three years. From multiple perspectives, geopolitics, inflation, consumer demand, social tensions and asset prices. An article from businessinsider.com titled Four Reasons Why the U.S. Could Be Past Peak Inflation argues that several leading indicators, such as core personal consumption expenditure, or PCE, have started to pull back somewhat, and that shipping prices are peaking. To conclude, while stagflation is a risk, it is not the base case scenario. The real tragedy of the current energy and food inflation crisis is that developing countries, and particularly lower-income households across the world, are the ones who will suffer the brunt of this crisis. An article from Bloomberg called Inflation Unrest Hits the Streets shows that the global cost-of-living crisis has ignited protests in many countries – Peru, Sri Lanka, Spain, and even Germany. So clearly, the stage is set for some continuing turbulences. To better understand them and better address them, it is essential to take a look at the implications of this on financial markets. They are, after all, a key engine of the global economy. Several articles, such as the one from the FT by Robert Armstrong entitled The Horror That Is 2022, describe the significant sector dislocations within the equity markets. Here are some interesting points. First, a sharp sector divergence of commodities versus consumption. Consumer exposed sectors have been hit the hardest, down 15 to 30%, as investors anticipate demand destruction, retail, tech, autos, travel, industrials, while basic resources and energy stocks have seen strong gains driven by commodity prices that are up 15%. However, they could also fall if we enter a recession. Second, central banks' divergence caused record currency volatility. 
The Bank of Japan is committed to its QE program as inflation remains subdued. This led to a record collapse of 12% in the yen versus the dollar, back to a 20-year low. The euro dollar is below 2020 lows because US yields are rising faster than European bond yields. Third, it should not come as a surprise that US 10-year bond yields are back to 3%, compared to 1.5% at the beginning of the year, given the aggressive tightening and balance sheet reduction expected. Europe's 10-year yield move was even more impressive, from roughly 0.3% to 1.7%, an eight-year high in barely three months. And finally, COVID-19 policy divergence. While the West appears to have reached herd immunity, China remains committed to its COVID-19 zero tolerance policy, with close to 375 million people in quarantine in 45 cities. This is having a severe impact on growth, with a risk of recession, which could impact the global economy and lead to another round of supply chain disruptions, demand shock. Chinese equities and currency have suffered as a result. So, sluggish COVID-19 recovery and renewed turmoil from war are hitting the economy. And to continue stating the obvious, we all know the tenuous link between economic health and climate-related policies, or the likely prioritization of one over the other in times of hardship. So, what about the impacts on climate change and the net zero commitment? To take the latest example of climate disruption I read about, many cities in India have been feeling the brunt of the relentless effects of climate change with record heat waves. According to CNN meteorologists, New Delhi saw seven consecutive days over 40 degrees Celsius, three degrees above average for the month of April. That is pretty hot, and from a Londoner's perspective, pretty hellishly hot. Not that I want to denigrate the UK's beautiful weather, of course. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has forced Europe to fast-track its plan to win itself off Russia's oil and gas by launching Repower EU and announcing its commitment to the 1 trillion euro Green Deal on energy transition. However, these plans will require time and large investments at the very moment when central banks are tightening liquidity and government balance sheets have been weakened by COVID-related spending. Investors' risk appetite has also fallen as stagflation fear spreads. And as discussed, the resulting greenflation is not to be discarded. The uncomfortable truth is that the world is failing to meet the net zero target by 2050. According to climatetracker.com, greenhouse gas emissions have now reached 50 billion tons of CO2 equivalent per year globally, and current nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, after COP26 are expected to lead to more emissions in the medium term. Unless we cut emissions by 7.6% every year until 2030, we will fail to meet net zero by 2050. In 2020, emissions fell by 5.8%, a historical record, when the world was mostly in COVID-19 lockdown. It is mathematically impossible to achieve such a task in seven and a half years without lower demand, as discussed in the Frog and Climate Change episode with the Kaya equation. To put these numbers into perspective, and according to the IEA.org article, Global Energy Review, 
CO2 emissions in 2021. Energy-related CO2 emissions grew to 36.3 billion tonnes in 2021, a record high. CO2 emissions from coal rose to an all-time high. China is at 12 billion tonnes of CO2, the US at 4.6, and Europe is at 2.7. So even if Europe reaches net zero today, we will still be short of the target. One solution is to have sub-zero or net-negative targets in the West and not just net-zero because net-zero is not affordable for every country. This would go a long way to addressing the fairness argument of developing countries that will need to continue emitting CO2 at a faster pace to allow their economies to develop and deliver the same kind of comfort populations in the West have today. We did indeed burn a lot of fossil fuel to get where we are today. Should we therefore hope for a 1.5 degree increase, but prepare for 2.5? A few weeks ago, I took part in a public conference with Lord Nicholas Stern, who was a guest speaker. The task that I want to go to today is to pick up the themes that the conference is examining. He's the co-chair of the Global Commission on the Economy and Climate and a former chief economist of the World Bank. He's also well known for the 700-page stern review on the economics of climate change released for the UK government in 2006. I asked him that very question and his answer was that this was not even an option. One cannot prepare for 2.5 degree, as the living conditions will be so horrendous. We should do whatever it takes and do whatever it costs to align ourselves to 1.5 degree. We are currently at between 1.1 and 1.2 degree global warming versus pre-industrial era, and it is already not looking good. Right, to wrap up. The world is dealing with many challenges with significant and unpredictable consequences for the future. The war in Ukraine, the fight against COVID-19 in China, central banks' fight against the global inflation outbreak, the fight against climate change, and the fight against inequality, to name just a few. This reminds me of Leo Tolstoy's opus, War and Peace, a massive novel with close to 600 characters that chronicles events in Russia during the Napoleonic Wars, when the French Emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte, conquered much of Europe during the first few years of the 19th century. Napoleon unsuccessfully tried to expand his conquests into Russia, only to return back in 1812. The novel describes the French invasion of Russia and the impact of the Napoleonic era on Tsarist society through the stories of five Russian aristocratic families. Let me share a famous quote from this book to end this episode. War is expensive. Peace is free. Yet war is petty. Peace is priceless. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2050 Investors. I hope this episode has helped you get a better glimpse of the implications of the current geopolitical crisis and the challenges ahead. You can find the show on your regular streaming apps, Please subscribe, leave comments and stars anywhere you like and spread the word. See you at the next episode.
financial markets, it does not recommend any particular investment decision. If you are unsure of the merits of any investment decision, please seek professional advice.